0: Today's sermon brings us back to the letter of 1 Corinthians, a letter to the church. Since it has been a few weeks since we were last in this letter, I begin with some reminders, namely, how much God loves his church. This wonderful truth can't be highlighted enough. Knowing that God loves his church is essential for understanding the many instructions in this letter. The church of God belongs to God. This makes her distinct from any other assemblies found in the world. For this reason, the apostle comes down hard on the church in Corinth when their shameful actions confuse this distinction among themselves and in the eyes of unbelievers in the world. Simply put, the church was deceived, and through their deception, their witness for Jesus was lost. This text returns to a recurring theme of the church's great identity in Christ and ends with a powerful whisper of gospel transformation and hope. This message is preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-11 through and is called, Do Not Be Deceived. Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels how much more then matters pertaining to this life so if you have such cases why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church i say this to your shame can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you receive this as God's word, would you say with me, amen, amen. Do not be deceived. Three of the most beautiful words in the letter of 1 Corinthians are found in the letter's opening address. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 begins with this greeting to the church, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together With all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to the church, to the ecclesia. The word church or ecclesia was a familiar word for a summoned assembly in Greek culture. It was like what we know today as the town council, a legislative body. And I want to remind you that Paul's not addressing this ordinary ecclesia. He is writing to a specific one, remember? He is writing to the ecclesia of God, to the assembly that belongs to God. And if we miss this, we will miss the love that drives the instruction of this letter. God loves his church. Christ loves his church. Ephesians draws upon the marriage relationship to show this by saying, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ wants for his bride, what God wants for his church across all of time to be presented to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, to be holy without blemish. It's a beautiful and a wonderful thing, the love that God has for his church and what God himself makes of her by his holy name. And with this in mind, we can see the heart behind the instructions given to the church in Corinth and to the church that we are today. These instructions are invitations for the church of Jesus Christ to be participators in what God has already made her to be, his saints, his holy ones, his righteous ones, his people in the world, but not of the world. And for this reason, the main invitation today is for the church in Christ To not be deceived. Do not be deceived is the command. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, continues instruction under the umbrella of the need for church discipline. Remember, church discipline is a way of guarding against whatever threatens the church's witness It's a way of staying on the right path. Church discipline is a process among the body of saints for purging what is worldly, what is evil, what is sinful from among her, getting out what doesn't belong within. It is a necessary act of love by the church for the church to preserve the church as pure and powerful and to protect her identity and witness as an assembly that does, in fact, belong to the holy God. An undisciplined church is a deceived church. The title of today's sermon is lifted from that command in verse 9, Do Not Be Deceived, because deception is the enemy of discipline. Deception convinces you that you are something that you are not. Deception renders discipline powerless. Indeed, any local church that does not care for loving discipline is a deceived church. Deception is a mistake in one's judgment. It is a loss of direction, a wandering astray. And being deceived means that you do not know who you are, or what you are, or whose you are. Deception is a distinctive feature of a church that has lost its spiritual authority. And so we see the importance of understanding and practicing church discipline. Because an undisciplined church is an undifferentiated church. An undisciplined church is an undifferentiated church, meaning there's nothing that separates a deceived church from a deceived world. They're the same. Make no mistake, the enemy of Christ throughout the Scriptures is called a deceiver And the world is already deceived. The world wanders astray. But we, the saints, the sanctified, the called, we need not be deceived. We need not be like them. And we're commanded in Scripture to not be deceived and to not be like the world. And so the deception of the church in Corinth became very obvious In the shameful way that disputes among them, among the church, were handled. I want to show you this. I want to show you from God's word how to guard against being a deceived church. This is how the apostle words his opening statement. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Notice first that word grievance. A grievance is the word pragma. Pragma. It's just a matter, it's a thing. Specifically, the apostle is speaking about a matter or a thing that has become a point of contention or a dispute. One brother or sister between another brother or sister. Someone's been offended. Someone has been deceived. Someone has been treated wrongly, unrighteously by another brother and sister and now wants righteousness to prevail. So how will righteousness prevail? How will justice be done? And here's the deception. Deception. The church in Corinth was taking disputes among them before the public courts of the unrighteous, among them, in hopes that righteousness would somehow prevail. The saints were suing each other in the civil courts of Corinth. Think about how that endeavor might reflect upon their public witness for Jesus as the testimony in that court was shared as the evidence was brought forth. Why would anyone watching want what those Christians have in Christ? Why would anyone need what they have in Christ? For it appears that there is nothing different among this church, this assembly. And the apostle uses a very strong word. To express his disbelief and approval. Notice the word dare in verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? This word dare is a very strong word. In the Greek language, it's the first word of this sentence, bringing emphasis to it. In other words, the apostle begins this way, basically saying... How dare you? How dare you go to court before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, we are helped by understanding the context of these civil courts. History teaches us that the civil courts were fertile grounds for unrighteousness in and of themselves. They were easily corrupted through bribes. The wealthy would sue the poor, and the wealthy would serve as jurors, making it virtually impossible for a person of lower standing to receive a just hearing. These courts were rigged. And then, on top of all of that, there was the sport of it all. Taking someone to civil court wasn't only about getting justice, but it was about winning the argument publicly humiliating another so as to receive glory for oneself. My rights, my glory, making the other person pay and the loser paid dearly in these civil courts. The church in Corinth did not know what true righteousness was or they had no concern for actually seeking it by what they were doing. They were deceived, and so three times in this text, the apostle tells them what they apparently do not know. First, at the end of verse one, we are given a clue of what they did not know was possible. It is possible to settle grievances before the saints. It is possible. God has empowered us by his Holy Spirit as the body of Christ, the saints, with the wisdom and discernment we need to settle disputes among ourselves and to thereby preserve our identity as Christ's people. Praveen Vang, a commentator, says it this way, Paul's answer to the church is that when members seek means to resolve conflict that violate their identity as Christians, It reveals that the church as a community has lost its spiritual authority. The church in Corinth lost what it had already been given, spiritual authority, by taking their grievances and submitting them to an unrighteous, worldly authority. And the apostle is disgusted by this And reminds them that these are matters that God empowers them to handle among themselves. Not only is this possible, but our future in Christ assures this. Look with me at verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? This is the first of three do you not know statements in this text. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? The apostle is looking at the grand example of future judgment where the saints in Christ will participate in the judging of the world. When the kingdom of God comes in fullness, We who are in that kingdom will share in the judgment of the king. This is taught in other places in scripture. Daniel saw this vision. Daniel chapter 7, verses 21 through 22. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And Revelation speaks in this way. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations." So this is a big deal. You may not have known this is our future as saints. Why then can the saints, empowered by the same eternal spirit, not judge small deals? Verse 2 again, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? This reveals the nature of the church's disputes. They were trivial. They were most insignificant, of very little importance. These disputes did not matter much, yet the church was making a public matter out of them. And so here is a principle that we learn of deception. Deception makes much of little and little of much. You may have heard it said this way. Deception makes mountains out of molehills. Majors on the minors and minors on the majors. People who do these things are showing that they are deceived. They are off course They've lost sight of who they are, whose they are, and what is, in fact, most important. By application, this is very easy to see in any local church, just by listening to the conversations being had among our membership. Did you know that your phones are listening to you? How does that make you feel? Facebook, if you have it on your phone, is listening to you. Have you ever noticed that the advertisements that pop up on your newsfeed reflect the things that you had just talked about? They're listening. I'm asking, what advertisements pop up on your newsfeed? What kinds of conversations are we having? If Facebook listened to the conversations you have while you're in the church building. If the unbelieving world were listening in, what conversations might they hear? Would they hear people praying to God for lost souls, lost neighbors, lost family members, interceding for the eternal future of those who will die without the hope of Christ and spend eternity in the lake of fire? Would they hear appeals to God for those souls their salvation would they hear people praying to god to intervene in difficult challenges that we face because we have a faith in god who loves us and is able to deliver us and heal us would they hear people asking how they can serve and build up Christ's church through ministry offering their gifts in service to the lord would they hear people finding ways to meet the needs of brothers and sisters who are in need? Would they hear people brainstorming creative ways to be on mission as a church, to win the lost, to die to self and pass on the faith to future generations? Would they hear people praying for their pastor and teachers who feed them God's word and minister, rightly dividing the word of truth? Would they hear conversations about how to most glorify God and exalt Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit through our worship gatherings? These, brothers and sisters, are major things. These matter in light of eternity. These are who and what we are about as Christ's church. What would the unbelieving world hear about our conversations. How easy it is as a church to get our feelings heard about things that really don't matter in light of eternity. To argue instead of pray. To act on what we feel rather than on faith. To follow our own way instead of God's word. That is why the apostles writing this. That's why God preserved this word to the church in Corinth and today to show us God's way in this matter, that we do not have to be so easily deceived and lose our identity. We have to be on guard. The apostle returns the gaze of the church in Corinth upon the eternal consequences of the future, because their minds are consumed only with their present hour. And this is yet another principle of deception. Deception is present-minded, not future-minded. Deception hides the future consequences of decisions that are made now in the present. Do you not know, the apostle says, that the saints will judge the world? Look to the future. Look ahead. It matters to what's going on right now. If you knew what came ahead, you wouldn't do what you're doing now. That's what he's saying. And so again, the apostle reminds them of what they don't know, saying it in a bit of a different way. Verse three, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? At the last judgment, there will be angels who will be judged by the saints too. So how much more then? Are we saints to judge matters pertaining to this life, this ordinary life? The gospel of Jesus says that we do not have to earn our future. Praise God. There is nothing that we can do to earn a place in God's kingdom. There is no work that we can perform to be saved. Because salvation is not based on works, Ephesians tells us. It's based by grace through faith alone. Jesus did all the work. I don't decide my future. My future is decided in Christ. Our future is decided in Christ. So church, Jesus empowers us to live in light of our future right now. And that is what it means to be a part of God's coming kingdom that is coming and is already here. That's the point that this apostle is raising. Church in Corinth, what you will do, you may now do in Christ. The same Lord is with you and empowering you now with all you need to judge these small, trivial matters. So being quite perplexed, perhaps even confused by their actions, the apostle asks in verse 4, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Why, said another way, do you legitimize as judges those who count for nothing in the church? Perhaps we could say it this way. Why do you count as a church member someone who is not? Why do you allow someone to remain among you when they've abandoned you? Why would you grant someone privileges of membership when they don't attend for worship or pray or give and they can Why would you put someone in some kind of a decision-making capacity in the church to decide issues in the church to judge over you when they don't even support or serve you? The apostle is frankly appalled at this. And in verse 5, he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? Already, apostle is asked this question in chapter 1. Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And he went on to say, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God Wisdom from God. You see how Jesus becomes exactly what we need? Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The church in Corinth was to be exercising the wisdom of Christ to the shame of the world. But instead, they were shaming themselves. I say this to your shame, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? In verse 6. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Church, your witness is at stake here. In fact, Corinthians, your witness is blown Do you know how hard it is to recover from a blown witness for Christ? You go before unbelievers and do the exact opposite of what your Lord did for you. And now they look at you and they're confused. Look at verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already, the apostle says, a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? I'm going to be honest with you, when I read that verse, I didn't like it very much. That's a hard saying, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? If you were acting as the Christians you are, he says, these trivial matters would not become lawsuits at all. Why? Because, church, you would do what Christ did for you. You would rather suffer wrong. You would rather be wronged. That word, rather, is an important word because it communicates that there is an alternative. I would rather be wronged than the alternative. And what is that alternative? To shame Christ in front of unbelievers through my actions. God, please, never let me do that. To assert my rights before unbelievers as if I have any rights of my own anymore. I would rather be wronged. I would rather be defrauded. That is, deprived of something through deception by a brother or sister than to destroy my witness of my Lord before unbelievers. Jesus suffered wrong. Jesus was deprived of his life through lies culminating in his death on the cross. And he willingly did that rather than calling legions of angels to come and show the world that he was right in what he said. Why did Jesus do this? Because he wanted to show the world his love, the witness of the Father's love. 1 Corinthians will later say that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love, watch this, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's the kind of love that is of God, the love of the Holy Spirit, the love that Christ demonstrated for us. Church, If we want to be witnesses of Christ's love in the world, we must be willing to be wronged by another and live bearing and enduring that tension of knowing that you're right, but bearing instead publicly the wrong. The kingdom teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was this. I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. If we are to act like this towards those who are evil, as Jesus spoke of, Those who are unbelieving, how much more are we to die to self in our relationships with one another as believers in Christ? But the apostle is not yet finished. In verse 8, he reveals a sad reality. The church in Corinth is so deceived that they have become as unbelievers. Look at verse 8 but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. You do these things. They are no different in their actions than the ones that crucified the Lord. They are living as unregenerate people and they don't know it. They are so deceived they can't see it. The word in verse eight, wrong, but you yourselves wrong. That's the word for unrighteous. And so now the apostle uses the same word that he applied to the outsiders against the Corinthians themselves. Verse 9 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Who are the unrighteous? Well, this is just one list. And with it comes the command, do not be deceived like them. Do not think that you will inherit the kingdom of God if you practice these things. You will not. They will not. And that should burden us all greatly for the lost who don't know Christ. But verse 11 whispers a truth that the church in Corinth needed to hear, a truth that we need to hear every day in our gathering. And something that the apostle waited to this very end of this section to say, and it's this gospel truth, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. This text ends with a beautiful gospel proclamation, and it ends with God. Not with commands, but with statements yet again of who they are as Christ has made them to be. They were washed, they were sanctified, they were justified, not because of their works, but because of Jesus Christ. And his work for them. Jesus, who lived in complete obedience to God, who never sinned but was accused of blasphemy and bore it, who suffered wrong and endured it all the way to the cross, where he died unjustly for sin that he was not guilty of. Our sin. And Jesus did all of this to show us God's love, to redeem us, to save us, and bring us back to God so that he might present us blameless before him and spotless. Christ was buried, and God had the final say over all of that injustice. God raised him from the dead. Living as witnesses for Jesus means waiting on God to make the truth known in the right time. And God is waiting, why? Because God is still saving. Will you receive his grace of salvation today by faith if you have not? Church, will you live by faith that he has graciously given you today? And be encouraged and strengthened in that because of the indwelling Christ within us and the spirit of our God. Notice all of these sins, how horrendous they are. And yet, even then, the text says you were washed of those. This is gospel hope. God still forgives sins. It's not too late. Do not be deceived. Instead, church, be different. Be disciplined. May God give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to obey so that we might be the witnesses for Jesus that he has made us and calls us to be. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.